you know, we've always used the word innovative and transformation kind of loosely. Yes. I think the pandemic has really exposed whether or not people have the wherewithal and whether or not people are well suited to lead transformation, right? I think transformation is defined one way, but I think the pandemic has exposed transformation in another way. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's Accelerate Your Performance podcast. I'm your host, Janet Pilcher. Thanks for having a desire to be your best at work and help your organization achieve success. This podcast is all about actions we can take to improve workplace culture and achieve results, and they're all aligned to our nine principles for organizational excellence. Joining us this week is Dr. Vincent June, Chancellor of South Louisiana Community College. Dr. June has been serving as Interim Chancellor since June 2020 and was unanimously selected by SLCC and the Louisiana Community and Technical College System Board of Supervisors after a comprehensive national search and interviews with students, faculty, staff, and community members. Vincent is one of the most engaged leaders I've worked with. He has an excellent ability to work alongside leaders, faculty, staff, and community members. There are very few things that Vincent doesn't understand about the various aspects of higher education. He is masterful at working with people to create an approach to accomplish results and to do so with high expectations of others and himself. Vincent will deliver one of the keynote presentations at our virtual conference, Destination High Performance Higher Education, on May 17th and 18th. We hope you'll consider joining our higher education leaders from around the country to share their successes and to bring hope to the future of higher education. You can learn more by visiting studereducation.com slash events. It's my pleasure to welcome Vincent June, Dr. June, to our show today. So, Dr. June, thank you so much for joining our show today. It's so great to have you here. Thank you for having me, Dr. Pilcher. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So let's start with a question, you know, looking over the past year and, you know, you've been selected as the Chancellor of South Louisiana Community College. You've been at the institution um, for over the years and you also have, you know, a wide array of experiences that you bring to South Louisiana Community Colleges. So can you tell us like what what are those past experiences have, do you think really prepared you for this position? You know, Janet, that's a good a good, good question. I think that at the end of the day, I think a culmination of experiences have really helped me in this role as chancellor. As a matter of fact, I was mentioning it today with a group of uh, external stakeholders, talking specifically about my trajectory from you know being a, a resident a resident hall director, traditional institution, to working in the vice president's office of student affairs and enrollment services as a federal representative student, to then becoming an adjunct instructor after graduating from undergraduate and getting a master's degree at a local community college, and then going on to pursuing a doctorate. But at the same time, having the best of both worlds to be able to go to school full-time while working on both a master's, an MBA, and a PhD, but also working in, in the dean's office, you know, as a special assistant to the dean with my hands in grant writing, development, minority student affairs, recruitment, and other special initiatives that support the mission of of the university. And then subsequent to completing that, just my own personal trajectory after, you know, leaving in those capacities to becoming a coordinator of disability services, a director for minority affairs, assistant dean of student affairs for both judicial and Greek life, and then a director for housing, and then a a dean, and then a, a dean of enrollment management over financial aid admissions and career services and the registrar's office, 
and then becoming a vice president. I think all of those things along the way have added value uh, to my portfolio, but more specifically to my skill set that I think you can't replicate unless you have been kind of a, a boots on the ground at all the leader levels. I like to call it leader levels because I know some people want to just directly move from a program assistant and just jump all the way to becoming a a dean or assistant associate vice president, uh, even a chancellor for that matter, because people believe that having certain types of credentials automatically qualify you for that position. And the truth of the matter is you have to have experience, right? And experience translates to readiness. And I think at the end of the day, for me, it's been all about experiences. It really has not been about degrees uh, or or titles. People graduate with PhDs all day and have never worked a full-time job. And so how do you get experience to be prepared for the next level? So I think all of those things have helped me along the way to be in a chancellor's seat. But I think more importantly, one key piece for me had been an emerging leaders program that my former boss, thought enough of to present to me and to support me on, and that was becoming an ACE fellow through the American Council of Education. And that particular program specifically provides um, leadership opportunities for aspiring deans or vice presidents or folks who want to become presidents. And it's a, a very intensive type of emerging leaders program. And I was very fortunate to have been selected by Cuyahoga Community College to spend a full year I'm working under not only the president of the system, but also a couple of uh, campus presidents to be able to explore whether or not moving from the vice presidency to the presidency is an option for me, you know? And if so, what skill sets are necessary for me to close gaps in? And then also as part of that fellowship plan, it gave me the opportunity to visit other uh, college presidents and have conversations with them, maybe spend, you know, anywhere between 48 hours to 72 hours with them at you know, similar campuses that look like my home institution. And so at the end of the day, I made a decision after that full year experience that mm, maybe the chancellorship slash presidency is something to consider. So here I am. Yeah, and so glad for it. So glad for it, Vincent. And you know what I really admire about you is because you have those experiences and you've done such a great job along the way, you know, you really do have your hands and a pulse on every aspect of the organization and it, it shows in your leadership. So I have great admiration for you in that regard. You know, so let's let's talk a little bit about higher ed and the transformational changes that are going on. And obviously the pandemic has helped accelerate that transformation. So this question two parts. One, as we think about the last year, but looking back over the transformational changes that have been occurring in higher ed for quite a while. You know, what do you think are the biggest opportunities? And then, you know, what are the challenges and obstacles that this transformational time brings us? Yeah, I think you know, no, none of us expected a, a national pandemic, right? A global pandemic, to be more specific. But also, too, I think a lot of opportunities, while, you know, we have experienced a lot of sadness as part of this, this pandemic as well, but I think the pandemic has given us exposure to a lot of opportunity, so much so that it has forced us, and you use the, the, the word very carefully, transformation. It has forced us to transform a lot sooner than later for some, for some institutions across the country. It's depending on the aspect of the institution. I think emphasis has been placed, obviously, on technology because when, when we had a complete shutdown, it forced everyone to have to assimilate and adapt to forms of technology 
whether it be remote, whether it be learning, whether it be business operations, whether it be communications, delivery, I mean, you name it, technology has been kind of the driving force behind the transformation. It also exposed our lens for us to look through in terms of what are we doing well, where are the missed opportunities that we could leverage later on, you know, during the pandemic and post the pandemic. Not going back to normal, but you know, more specifically, I refer to it as the new normal, right? Right. And that is where have there been opportunities? I think we have seen, at least at SOCC and South Carolina Community College, we have seen that, you know, online is fantastic. Being able to offer, you know, full-fledged programs where students can just, you know, um, be fully engaged online and never have to step foot on a campus is perfect. But for a campus, multi-campus operation like SOCC, where we have nine campuses in eight parishes, and the demographic and the parish profile looks different, particularly if they're rural, the delivery is different, right? And so we've had students to take advantage of our high sync and our high flex instructional delivery, but also two opportunities in terms of how we engage with our constituencies from the services side of the house as well in the context of student development, student engagement types of program. It's forced us to use a lot more social media, Facebook Live. It forced us to use chat box as a means of communicating continuously and a lot more seamlessly. It's forced us to have to use Microsoft Teams. We were already using Microsoft Teams before the pandemic. But as you look at commercials now, you see that it's, it's all over the place about how to use uh, Microsoft Teams to communicate and to store files and to share files and all this other good stuff and Zoom and WebEx. We were already there. And I think for us, we were excited because we had already done a full-fledged upgrade on our, on our technological infrastructure, both hardware and software. For us, there was an additional opportunity for us to then now further engage our faculty and really develop our faculty around the online environment in the other context outside of just your traditional online instructional academic delivery. And so that's where we saw the biggest opportunity for us for both engaging faculty who normally don't teach online, but also too, to be able to transition a lot of our student services to an online remote type of format as well. Yeah, and I think, I mean, you all did a remarkable job with that. And um, I, you know, I've had the pleasure of working with you all over the years. And that is a huge transformation for you all, because although you have people who obviously can step up to the plate and, and do those that work, the willingness to do it and the, their ability to do that in a timely way was just, I mean, it was remarkable, Vincent. So, you know, I know you all are proud of that. What, are, what about the obstacles? You know, if you can name an obstacle or two that's in front of you, what do you think? think. I think for us, again, I I reiterate this, you know, our profile is different maybe than some of the other community colleges across the country because not every community college serves as a multi-campus operation. And Mm -hmm. our parish profiles are just totally different. And so we have folks who really, at the end of the day, did not have access to technology. I mean, we have people who didn't didn't even own a laptop, an iPad, a Surface Pro, let alone uh, a cell phone in some regards. So being able to, you know, shift to some form of remote and then to be able to explain to folks that, you know, uh, that you could still receive your educational instruction through these different modalities was almost impossible. So being able to then now work with other forms of, of partnerships and other businesses to be able to minimally make sure that people had access to Wi-Fi, right? Yeah. 
and then trying to rush to figure out how we how do we provide devices to those students who don't have a laptop or iPad or a Chromebook or what have you. And then we had to rush to do that. And I think what we discovered when we surveyed our population, yeah, but more importantly, even some of our faculty and staff didn't even have laptops at home, yeah, right? That's right? How do we expect for them to be able to work from home? And even if you're in an operation that is more process oriented, we had people in the financial aid that didn't even have laptops to be able to do processing. And they are probably one of the more fluid departments that are able to work from home, right? If you just yeah. give them a laptop. So I think the biggest obstacle for us was being able to transition both students and faculty and staff into environments where they had access to, to Wi-Fi, but also had the respective and necessary electronic devices to be able to perform um, their jobs and to be able to engage in instruction as well. Yeah, that's great. And you're right with the main campus, but the rural campus areas, you know, that becomes extremely critical to keep everybody engaged. You know, pandemic or not, you had your first year, (laughs) basically you were going through the transition in your first year and um, was appointed as you were moving into this new year. But you know, as as you were thinking about that transition in in your life from the vice chancellor to the chancellor's position, you know, I, I know external relations has been extremely important to you as one priority. But can you talk about that priority and how that's kind of driving you toward the future of SLCC? Yeah, I think before I answer that, Janet, I just would like to preface that, you know, I did not envision my first chancellorship or presidency taking on the characteristic that it's taken, right? Yeah. Uh, I never saw myself being in the midst of a pandemic, let alone applying for a job during the <laughs> pandemic. That was not that was not part of my vision. Let me just say it that way. That's not how I, how I envisioned it. I really envisioned it more of a, a traditional model, right? <laughs> um, that everyone else has gone through. But but yet, I think at the end of the day, timing is always perfect, and I I believe that God doesn't give you anything that you're not prepared for. So. For me, I think I was very fortunate because, you know, I was in the role as vice chancellor for academic and student affairs, and I was primarily responsible for roughly about three-fourths of the college anyway, and had been here long enough to kind of understand the, the environment and the infrastructure of the college. So I think that put me in a better position to further help the college navigate, not only through the pandemic, but just through a normal you know, just through a normal process of, of operation and planning for, for the college anyway. And so... It was easier for me to have a conversation with with my colleagues who were already at the table as um, vice chancellors and who had excellent working relationships with me anyway. And so we were able to leverage that, you know, and it wasn't a tug of war or anything. They had already been engaged in a number of initiatives from the uh, academic and student affairs side of the house. So they got it early in terms of all the things that we had, you know, that we've implemented, that we have realigned, that we've revitalized technology that we've turned on, on just the whole gamut. So it was an easy transition for me in, in terms of me being able to leverage what the former chancellor had already done with employee engagement, our use of data, infusion of technology. And so I just moved simply from the passenger seat to the driver's seat. And I just put my own twist on it, right? Yes. I kind of knew where some of the pitfalls were for the college in terms of gaps. So let me call it that, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, immediately just kind of, you know, did what I would normally do as a chief academic and student affairs officer and just basically developed an outline of, you know, what was necessary in order for us to keep our fingers on the pulse real time based on where we were as a college and to not necessarily go into a full, you know, strategic planning process or anything like that, but to leverage our successes 
and our opportunities from the last year teaching process and to say, okay, here's our reality. Here's our, our new normal right now, given this pandemic. What are the strategic priorities that the college fields are relevant in order for us to maintain continuity across the board? A seamless you know, operation, academics, student service orientation, you name it. And then we came up with 12 you know, strategic priorities that we leveraged and we developed benchmarks and metrics for and were successful. And we were able to you know, make inroads with those um, successes and, and roll that into our current strategic planning process now. Obviously, our strategic plan process ended in um, 2020. Yeah. So what better time, right? Seems like everything is working in my favor. Yeah. With the strategic planning process, an opportunity to meet with key stakeholders, external partners and, and business and industry partners in the respective parishes. Because we always knew at SOCC that there is no one size fit all based on the constituents that we serve in those parishes. So I thought the timing was perfect as well, because a number of those key leadership roles in those parishes have changed as well. And it was an opportunity for me to bridge the gap and for those folks to know who each other is as well. But also, too, to talk more specifically about where SOCC has been, where we are and you know where do we see ourselves moving forward in the future and to have them part of that conversation. So it was a seamless process in the interim from June of 1st of last year until uh, until my formal appointment after the search process uh, on December the 8th. So all I was able to do from that point was just leverage that again. So yes. the work never stopped. Essentially yeah. what happened was I was given some power, that's all, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. after that full process, I was able <laughs> to find some stuff and to now be responsible for the day-to-day operations on a, on a full-time basis, yeah. And again, you know, just remarkable job, you know, just didn't miss a beat in that seamless process that you talked about, you know, it's model, Vincent, for the for the way that that transition um, needs to occur. So as we conclude today, I just want to go high level for a few minutes, um, just to get your thoughts. You know, higher education will need great leaders to manage through the continued changes that are ahead of us. Um, we're not, we're just at the beginning of change. We're not, we're not closing the loop on it. So, you know, just in a, your summary statement, you know, what will the future leader of higher ed need to look like, those presidents and chancellors of the world? Yeah, that's a good question. And, you know, having gone, like I said, having gone through an emerging leaders program, let me just say in retrospect that there are some add-ons that I have had to add to my leadership profile, right, that was not mentioned. And that is, you know, we've always used the word innovative and transformation kind of loosely. Yes. I think the pandemic has really exposed whether or not people have the wherewithal and whether or not people are well suited to lead transformation, right? I think transformation is defined one way, but I think the pandemic has exposed transformation in another way. So much so that it requires you to look at at multi-dimensions of the transformation spectrum, if you will. And so I think that today's leader and tomorrow's leader, you know, will have to be able to multitask in that dimension as it relates to sustainability, Mm-hmm. optimization, looking for efficiencies, looking at how to realign legacy types of processes, operations, programs, how to deliver that to a community, uh, faculty and staff, where they're able to not necessarily agree, but they are able to acknowledge that they understand. Yeah. Right? 
And there's a difference in agreeing and understanding, right? Because you still have to make a decision, a comfortable decision as, as a leader. But I think also too, that today and tomorrow's leader, you know, they have to be willing to be vulnerable, right? And I use that word very carefully because vulnerable means that you're not necessarily giving anything away, but you are you are essentially, you know, willing to share gaps and room for improvement and to be able to say, but at the same time, I need partners to be part of this experience to help us to be the best jewel or to be the best resource that will impact our community, right? And particularly those of us that are leaders in a multi-dimensional or multi-operational type of institution, you have so many personalities that you have to manage. Again, the profiles look totally different. So again, your mind is constantly turning, but at the same time, you have to be that vulnerable leader to make sure that you're you know, making inroads at the right moments with the right people and being able to, to have people to see that it's not apples to apples relative to serving your, your external constituencies. And I think that's really key. And it's, it's a lot of work. Uh, I got a little <laughs> bit more than I bargained for because I'm having to elevate an already existing institution that has done outstanding work, right? But how do you maintain the momentum and how do you get people mm-hmm. to see where the need is? And so it's requiring me to have to be a little creative, more creative than I had anticipated, so much so that I feel like I'm, I'm going backwards sometimes. But you know what, Janet? I think some of the methodologies that we've employed in the past that we have called antiquated are some of the same methodologies that we have to add to our progressive spectrum as well. Yeah, that's yeah. a great, it's a great it's statement. It's a combination of old school and new school. Let me say it that way. It is. Sometimes I call them that, you know, Vincent, I keep using the term fundamentals. I keep going, we just have to stay true to the fundamentals. You still have to have the fundamentals. You know, I find myself continuing to say that and because you can't do the other unless you have those solid fundamentals. And you are, you are um, so good at providing that leadership to your institution and doing that. It's been a pleasure to, to have this conversation with you today and look forward to you being at our conference. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Fulch. I really appreciate you and the, and the work and the leadership that you have provided us through student education as well. It has been more than I can more than I can express. It's been an eye opener to have a different voice and a different ear to help validate some of the things that you are either thinking or some of the things that you aren't sure of. So I appreciate you so much. So thank yeah. you. Thanks so much, Vincent's wide array of experiences and his leadership approach position him to be an excellent community college leader, one that will lead South Louisiana Community College to become one of the best community colleges in the country. I look forward to hearing his keynote at our May 17th and 18th conference, Excellence as a Continuous Journey, Taking South Louisiana Community College to the Next Level. I hope you'll join us on May 17th and 18th to learn from our leaders and learn from each other. And to do so, again, visit studereducation.com slash events. Thank you for tuning in to Accelerate Your Performance. Please rate us on iTunes if you'd like and find us on Instagram. If you're looking for more resources related to today's episode, head over to studereducation.com dot com slash podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next time as we continue to focus on the nine principles for organizational excellence so that we can be our best at work. Have a great week.